Hey everybody, I've got a big episode today, so let's just skip the witty beginning and jump straight to the pre-recorded intro. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe, so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com, where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. I'm just going to start this episode off by saying that I have a lot to cover. I want to make this as short as I can, but I can make no guarantees. And so, as always, I will have relevant things down in the show notes of the episode. I will include timestamps for the bigger chunks, and this will be good for you as you're listening to this. If you don't want to just sit down and take in this entire episode and all the the topics that I'm going to discuss, you can really break it down into four different pieces or five because I've got my intro here. I will talk about three main reasons why I think the Capitol protest or riot happened and then finish with kind of a call to action or a So what? Why should I care? What should I do about it? So if you just want to take this in pieces, you can start with this intro. Later on, you can do the next one on and on, however you'd like to do it. But the timestamps for the major topics will, as I said, be in the show notes, as well as any relevant notes for those topics. I typically don't list kind of the finer points of things I discuss, but just looking at my notes, it's long and it's kind of a dense topic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with banter, so... If there's something you miss or something you may not catch, I will try to get as clear of notes I can down in the show notes. So, as you can tell by the title, we are going to be talking about what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. And really, while I'm late to the show because I wanted to really collect my thoughts and wait until you know some more info came out because I don't want to speak presumptuously because I'm not a news source, I don't need to come with the breaking news, I... If nothing else, I'm hopefully a worldview podcast where I can apply a Christian worldview to what's happening. But of course, we needed the facts and more information rather than what just seemed to be happening in the moment. So, you know, looking at everything that happened in the aftermath of it all, if you watch the videos or hear firsthand accounts, there's a lot of anger that kind of built up and carried people through the Capitol building. And In the wake of that, we are left with five deaths. Five human beings are died because of choices that were made and things that happened leading up to this moment. And, you know, one of those deaths was a police officer. And so as America itself and maybe even the world is trying to piece together what happened and how we should respond, our nation finds itself once again divided even more. And even within... Christianity itself, people are taking sides of, you know, we need to stand for Trump and we need to to believe in these people and what they did and they were true patriots. And you have other people who want to condemn what they did and say that it wasn't right. And so, you know, as we are talking about it, ultimately for a lot of us, the events themselves feel very removed. We know they happened. We may have even, you know, watched a little bit of footage, but It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it actually happened. It seems like something that we're hearing about from somewhere, you know, far off in a different part of the world. But this did really happen. And 
you know, the people who took part in the events were angry and they were, you know, ultimately willing to hurt and possibly even kill other people. I mean, we saw in videos that they had a gallows erected. They were calling to hang Nancy Pelosi and Vice President Pence. I mean, this was a serious thing that could have gone so much worse than it really did. You know, and if you you know, really want to see just what this event looked like, you know, there's videos out there of the crowd dragging a police officer down the steps and beating him on his way down. There's another video of a police officer being crushed in a door, I believe, trying to hold the crowd back. And, you know, the woman who died by being shot by a police officer, there's a video of that. You can actually see this woman's final moments as, you know, carried on by anger and carried on by what she believed was right and what she believed was true and even good. You know, she died because of what she thought was happening, what she thought she needed to do. And so, you know, I'm not recommending you go out and watch these things. They are at times very haunting to see. So definitely don't watch it if it would bother you. But my point is that we need to realize that these events were real. These were real human beings, people who really thought that what they were doing was good and even necessary. And the reason that I'm making this podcast, why, why I want to do this episode, because you know, if you're familiar with me, I don't do politics much. I'm, I'm not a current events commentator. I'm not someone that just responds to everything that happens. I try to only save my responses for things that are important, but also where we as followers of Jesus Christ may be tempted not to apply a biblical worldview to how we think or how we respond. And ultimately, all I ever want to do is bring clarity and just help us to keep our eyes and our hearts and our trust focused on our God and nothing else. So that's kind of the overarching reason why this episode is being released. But what kind of led me to this, and as I've been seeing people talk about it, is that, you know, I've seen people on the left and the those who are willing to speak out and those who are, you know, having conversations about it online. I'm seeing that a lot of them are painting all non-Democrats with kind of the same wide brush. You know, I'm seeing comments like all Trump supporters are terrorists. And if you voted for President Trump, this is what you voted for. And I'm seeing people who are being kind of guilted or even bullied into abandoning or renouncing being a Republican or being a conservative because of what happened at the Capitol. And so one part of this is to show because of what we can see about what led up to these events, we can realize that it's not all Trump supporters that did this, that not everyone is guilty or should be lumped together with these extreme actions of a few people in one part of the country. I also want to attack the other side, and that is that, you know, I've seen a lot of diehard Trump supporters who feel compelled to defend or excuse what happened or, you know, shift the blame to, you know, other groups like Antifa or to find, you know, one person in there who was bad and there for the wrong reasons, and then completely ignore the fact that the vast majority of people there were Trump supporters. They were there for the reasons that were obvious. And I think that a big reason that people may feel compelled for this is either they don't see what's actually happened. They don't see a bigger picture. You know, like in my episode about the news, how we shape our reality based on the news that we intake. And so if you're only hearing one side of it, you're only believing one side of it. But I think for others, and I think this may get even deeper in to 
why people are so radically taking one side or the other is that people are afraid to repent or they don't want to look bad or foolish in front of people because, you know, in our social media world, everyone is sharing their opinions and their thoughts and their knee jerk share buttons that they that they hit to put stuff on their Facebook or Twitter feed. And they want to tell people all their thoughts about it. And so, you know, for a lot of people, there are hundreds of, you know, maybe pro President Trump things that they've been talking about over the years. And they can't abandon that. They can't, you know, turn around or say, oh, I was wrong because nobody wants to hear. I told you so. No one wants to look like a fool for believing the wrong things. And so people will basically double down on what they've been doing and just ride it out and keep insisting that that they are right, even if it costs the truth and even if it costs them their Christian witness to the world. Because the world is watching us. The world is watching Christianity start to tear itself apart over politics. They're watching people respond to the fear and the frustration and the outrage at what happened at the Capitol. And they're watching people just excuse it or blame shift or make, you know, the left or the Democrats out to be the enemies in all of this. The world the world is watching us do that. Now, finally, I'm also making this for people who are kind of in the middle, people who aren't Democrats. They even voted for President Trump, but they're bothered by what happened. They don't believe that this is right or good. And they're seeing maybe even people they know and people they've, you know, been around for several years and trying to understand, you know, how did we come to two totally different ways of understanding? What has happened that has taken people I know and turned them into people who maybe aren't glorifying Christ? And so ultimately, that basically, I think, tackles everyone. I'm, I'm trying to approach both extremes of reactions that people are having and also maybe give some clarity to those who are just trying to understand what in the world is going on here. And then I also have a few other reasons why I personally wanted to make this podcast episode. For me, it's important that as Christians, we realize that the choices that we make, the news that we take in and allow to craft our reality, and even the communities that we become a part of have consequences. They have directions and destinations that they are ultimately going to lead because they have to. And this Capitol riot or protest is exactly that. It's evidence of what happens when a worldview and a way of thinking just comes to its natural conclusion. I think that by examining it in the way that I'm going to, it's also going to give us a more full understanding of just human nature in general. You know, if my episode about how the news crafts our reality was kind of a broad look at kind of how we as human beings think and are conditioned, this is going to dig even deeper to that. And finally, on a very personal level, this is something I just wanted to work through. I've said in the past that everything that I write, everything that I record, these are basically just things that I personally have wrestled with and want to talk about because I know that if I've wrestled with it, me being the most average person in the world, that other people are also wondering, other people are also questioning and want to work through whatever spiritual topic I'm talking about. And so I know that if I'm trying to work through how we balance our loyalty to Christ with maybe our loyalty to our political party. If we're trying to understand how could this have happened, what are we supposed to do about it, how should we think about it? What I'm talking about here is ultimately the conclusions that I have come to and the way of thinking that I have used and the biblical worldview that I have applied to just try to understand people and understand acts and try not to just paint people as either two-dimensional heroes or two-dimensional villains, but instead realize that these are real, true, and genuine human beings, first of all. 
and everything they did is in line with being a human being. So why did they do what they did? And so as I approach this, my general perspective on what happened is that I don't believe what happened reflects all Trump supporters, or maybe even not the vast majority of them. Because as always in our world, those who are really loud seem to represent the entire group. And it's hard to know how accurate that is. I also want to be even more clear and say that the videos and the things that we've seen and heard about the what happened at the Capitol don't even reflect those who were at President Trump's speech, because it is becoming more and more clear that there were kind of two groups in Washington, D.C. that day. There was those who stood and listened to President Trump and his people speak, and then they went to the Capitol. And then there was those who showed up during those speeches and really kind of seemed to have started all the chaos that this second group walked into. But all that being said, yes, I believe that the vast majority of everything that we've seen was done by true and genuine people who support President Trump. I know there's a lot of claims of, oh, Antifa did it. You know, they had, you know, people who kind of snuck in and, and started everything. And it's possible that there were those who were not there under genuine intentions. But again, everything we're seeing based on what the FBI is digging up and how the arrests are going, all the people that are being arrested for what they did are, are basically Trump supporters. The vast majority of them are. And that's how we need to think about this and not push it aside, not try to minimize it, but honestly deal with what happened and who the people were. So if it's not clear by now, this episode is going to have a much different tone. It's going to be less biblical and more related to how I apply a biblical worldview to my understanding of how people think and why they do what they do. And some of this may sound a bit like psychology or trying to mix psychology and Christianity. Uh, if you don't know me personally, I have very hard and firm views on psychology. I have an article series that I can link down in the show notes. But the basic summary of how I approach psychology is that I think psychologists offer very good observations into what people do. But as Christians, we need to be careful not to let them tell us why they do it. In other words, I believe that psychology offers us good observations but when they try to interpret why those things happen or what those observations mean, that's when our worldviews start to differ. So if this sounds like, you know, some kind of psychoanalysis, that's not what it's meant to be. But I will be using some terms that you probably would hear psychologists use. And that's purely because I am using the same observations that anyone else can make, but then trying to think of how biblically we can understand this. So let's just start with kind of the broad topic of why these people were there. What was it that these people thought was going to happen and why were they doing what they did? And this will be kind of the end of the intro, if you will. And after this, we'll get into the very specific nitty gritties of what happened. So what were their goals? What was the desires of people? Why did they wake up, maybe even travel across the country and go to where they were that day? For the most part, the rallying cry was that everyone there was confident that there was some kind of fraud related to the presidential election. They thought that the presidential vote had been stolen and that ultimately our country had been compromised, not just from the vote, but just in general, from those who were ultimately of the Democratic side and those who maybe weren't standing strong and bravely with President Trump. This group, a lot of them saw those people as traitors to the country. And even, you know, tyrants. 
And in sharp contrast to that, this group saw themselves as revolutionaries. You can hear some of them in videos talking about, you know, this is 1776 again, you know, the year of the, the American Revolution when we fought against, you know, the British in order to become an independent nation. And so they see themselves in that same light. And as we'll talk about, a lot of things leading up to that really reinforced that understanding that these people needed to fight. They needed to overthrow tyranny. They needed to overthrow corruption and evil and to bring light and goodness back to America. And why they were there on this day in particular is that they thought this was their last chance to change what they saw as a crime. You know, they did their civic duty and voted back in November, but now this was their last chance to fix the wrong that had been done to them and to President Trump and ultimately to America. And so, you know, peaceful demonstrations and moving words and things like that, they weren't going to be enough. You know, this was a revolution and they needed to fight. They, they needed to be good patriots. They needed to be good Americans and take back our country before it was ultimately destroyed by the Democrats or the liberals or you know, this, this grand conspiracy, you know, depending on what stance people were taking with it. But ultimately, they couldn't just stand by anymore. This was America's last chance, and they were there to fight for it. And, you know, for a lot of people who, you know, maybe grew up in church or have spiritual beliefs, a lot of them believe that they were ordained by God. And now as Christians, we should be very aware and very mindful when anyone claims to act in the name of God, especially if we're going to agree with them, especially if they are going to seem to represent us and be going in the same direction we are. And so I just want to read a prayer that was given by what I understand to be a kind of big face in the QAnon conspiracy groups. So as I understand it, he calls himself a QAnon shaman, but he there's a video that I will link down in the show notes and you can see an even fuller picture of what happened because a reporter was able to capture different parts of when these people entered the Capitol and what happened in the Senate chambers. And at one point, this guy that you've probably seen with the horned helmet gets up and he gets a group around him and he offers a prayer to God. And again, you can find the transcript to this, I believe, in the video as well, but what it says, or what he prayed was, thank you, Heavenly Father, for gracing us with this opportunity to stand up for our God-given, unalienable rights. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building, to allow us to exercise our rights, to allow us to send a message to all the tyrants, the communists, and the globalists that this is our nation, not theirs, that we will not allow the America, the American way of the United States of America, to go down. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for filling this chamber with your white light and love, your white light of harmony. Thank you for filling this chamber with patriots that love you and that love Christ. Thank you, divine, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent creator God for blessing each and every one of us here and now. Thank you, divine creator God, for surrounding us with the divine, omnipresent white light of love and protection, peace and harmony. Thank you for allowing the United States of America to be reborn. Thank you for allowing us to get rid of the communists, the globalists, and the traitors within our government. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's holy name, we pray. So again, this guy who was praying it and... 
I assume a lot of the people listening and giving their amens genuinely believed that God had blessed or maybe even ordained them. He had called them to fight, to overthrow tyranny, to overthrow evil, to get rid of the globalists and the communists, and that their actions that day did that, and that God was blessing them. So ultimately, we have to ask, where did these people get these ideas? Why did they feel this way? What made them think that their actions were the right actions that day? And so previously, I've talked about how we can only stand truth by what we're exposed to. And so when we only hear one perspective or we only hear from one worldview, what we think is true is going to be based on someone else's interpretation. And that is key to understand because everything I'm going to talk about is going to keep falling back to that, that these people didn't just wake up and suddenly decide to riot, that everything that had happened over months and even years, the things they did, the things they heard, the things they talked about was naturally leading to this conclusion. And whatever is going to happen next is another part of that natural consequence of what they chose to surround themselves with, the truth that they chose to believe, and ultimately where their desires led them. So now I want to talk about three major ways that I believe that these people that we see at the Capitol who are being arrested, who broke the law, I want to look at three main reasons why I think we could trace back and see that there are different things that happened to them that they chose to be a part of that put them on a trajectory towards what they thought was going to be a violent overthrow of evil and corruption. So we're going to talk, first of all, about echo chambers. Now, an echo chamber is something I've honestly wanted to talk about for a while because, in general, this is dangerous for Christians. But I believe that an echo chamber is what led, in large part, to these people believing that what they thought was true could only be true, that there was no other way that the world could be working, there was nothing else that could be happening except this grand conspiracy where people in the deepest parts of the government were working against President Trump to get him out of office and instead put in Joe Biden. But what is an echo chamber? Well, the basic idea of it is that an echo chamber is what happens when we surround ourselves with like-minded people. So you think about just the word itself, the term echo chamber, right? It's, it's a room where you're constantly saying something and hearing echoes back. And the reason it's called an echo chamber and why it's so dangerous is that if you are saying something like, you know, the Green Bay Packers are the best football team in the franchise, and the only people that you really interact with on a more personal level are people who also say, yeah, the Green Bay Packers are the best sports team then you're going to be reinforced by thinking, wow, a lot of people think the Green Bay Packers are the best. It must be true. And I have no reason to think otherwise. And anyone else who thinks differently, there's got to be something wrong with them because they are obviously going against the majority of what good and smart people believe. And so that's what an echo chamber does, is it it's our natural temptation to be around people who don't stretch us and don't push us and don't challenge us and force us to think about our beliefs. They're people who will basically pat us on the back for saying the right thing. And they will feed us things that they expect us to agree with. And when we do, we get another pat on the back. And so it's this kind of loop of positive reinforcement where we want to say the right things and hear other people echo it back to us. And then when other people say things, we want to echo it back to them because both things get us approval and get us praise from others. They make us feel smart because people in our chosen group think that it's smart. 
or think that it's right or good. And so what ends up happening is that the group that we surround ourselves with starts to define our identity and it becomes our identity. Who we are is based on what these other people say and think. And so in whatever way you take this, whether it's a hobby or a sports team, whether it's a religious belief system or a philosophical belief system, or whether it's your political party and the specific beliefs of it, if you just surround yourself with people who won't challenge you but just keep reinforcing everything you say and they want you to say, then you're going to believe more and more that this has to be true because it's all you're hearing. It's all you surround yourselves with. This is the only truth that is coming into your mind. And when there's nothing else to challenge it or make you refine it or really think about it on a deep level and even think about the natural consequences of those beliefs, why would you think about that stuff? Why would you do the uncomfortable and difficult thing when you can be happy knowing that you've got the truth just like everyone else around you? And so then what ends up naturally happening once we start integrating more and more into a group of people who become our echo chamber, something very common happens, and that is isolation. So the more we become involved in this group of people and the more they call us to action and to think and talk about things, attend meetings, visit certain websites or certain discussion groups, the more invested we become in that world, the more we pull ourselves away from other parts of our lives. And so we start to isolate ourselves or the group encourages us to isolate ourselves, whether it's physically by only going to you know, that church's events or that group's Facebook page, whether it's relationally where we will only be polite and kind and open to people who already agree with us. And in contrast, we set up walls and hostility towards those who disagree, or we will even isolate ourselves emotionally. We will constantly be wanting to pick fights or doubt those who don't agree with us or who challenge us or who even just ask us questions about certain beliefs. And what do we do when those difficult things come? When we doubt, well, we run back to our echo chamber. We run back to the group and let them do our thinking for us because it's comfortable. It makes us feel wanted. It makes us feel like we belong and it makes us feel right without having to do the hard work ourselves. And then a dangerous part of echo chambers is what happens if you do start to doubt, if you do start to wonder, or if you start to hold contrary beliefs to what the group believes. And that is that you are basically threatened with being shunned or being seen as a traitor to the group or to the group's belief system. And so to question the bigger group is to ultimately risk being removed from the group. And so it becomes a very us versus them mentality where our group has it right. Our group has the truth. And anyone else who believes differently or thinks differently is part of the problem. And so that's how we see people and that's how we treat people. I'll, I'll give you an example that has nothing to do with politics to a degree. And that is in the scientific community. You can hear stories of scientists who may be open or suggest that there is a higher power out there, that everything that we see in the world could have just come about naturally. And that is dangerous to do because even in a world where you would think that, you know, reason and logic and intellectual discussion would be highly praised, it's still an echo chamber. And if you start to bring up the idea of God, you are pushed out, you are ostracized, you are removed from the group 
Because if you can hold that belief, you are not a part of us. You're part of them. You're part of the the lower class, the the weaklings, those who need that stuff. You know, that that is what groupthink does to us. That is what an echo chamber ultimately results in is isolation and controlled beliefs and a very antagonistic us versus them mentality. And almost any extreme belief in the history of the world relies on echo chambers to fuel its members. So if you think about cults, for example, things like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the doomsday cults, if you remember Heaven's Gate and people like that, where they believed wholeheartedly that there was this big end of the world coming, and so they needed to collectively kill themselves to be taken up to a higher place or to be rescued from what was coming. Now, how does anyone actually believe these things? You know, if you go and you read their belief system, it sounds completely wacky. So how is it that so many fully functioning adults killed themselves because of these really out there beliefs? Well, because more and more they became absorbed into their echo chamber. They became completely absorbed with the group and isolated from everyone else. They became separated from contradictory ideas and they refused to listen to those who called anything about their beliefs into question. And so if you read discussions of anyone involved in a cult, a lot of the discussion comes down to, you know, those who doubt us, those who question us, those who bring up these points, they're just brainwashed. They're part of the sheep. They're, they're one of them. And that's the scary thing is them. It's always this nebulous thing that we need to be afraid of because if you're not one of us, if you're not in this core group of people who know the truth, then you're one of them. You're compromised. You're a traitor. Again, it's all about controlling the thoughts of people within the group and keeping a tight rein on it. And so then when we get involved in an echo chamber, what happens? We contribute to it. We hold people down. We suppress contradictory or conflicting ideas. You know, same thing with terrorist groups. You know, if you've looked at you know, how ISIS or any other terrorist group works, what do they do? They stay within their own group. They only talk to their own people. You know, sometimes they even completely separate from civilization itself. You know, they'll isolate themselves from others. And so as outsiders looking in, whether it's a cult or whether it's a terrorist group or whatever, it seems ridiculous. Like, why would these people believe these things? Why would they choose to live their lives this way? But we know that it seems true and it all seems real to those who are in the mix, those who are within this group. And that's because echo chambers at the very core are all about shaping a person's reality. They're about surrounding ourselves with you know, constant confirmation and affirmation and reconfirmation that what we think is real because these people that we trust, these people that we've allowed into our lives and into our hearts, if they say it's true and we want to trust them, then it has to be true. And so, you know, politically speaking, you know, these people will constantly bombard themselves with news sources that only give them what they want to believe, that only reinforce the narrative that the group is talking about. You know, and they will consistently create this us versus them mentality in order to discredit agreement. You know, if someone brings up a valid point, well, if they have, you know, a democratic mindset, well, of course we shouldn't listen to them. You know, if they're liberal, of course we shouldn't listen to them. Why would we? They're one of them. 
They're not of us. If they were of us, they wouldn't think that way. And you, and you see how this creates this kind of circular reasoning where you start with a belief and everyone around you tells you it's true. But then someone says, well, what if it's not true? Well, then you push them out and say, you can't say that. You can't think that. Because if you think that, then you're not part of us. Being part of us is to think this specific thing or in this specific way. And so there's no real rational thought. There's no wrestling with truth. There's just what people have to believe. And so people basically, they sit in these things and they get more and more invested because they need a sense of belonging. They maybe have a sense of worship of ideas and wanting to stand for something and believe in something. Or maybe they just want to be comfortable because ultimately, at the end of the day, echo chambers don't require us to really understand why we believe what we believe. They let us believe a thing and just sit there and say, I believe it. Am I wrong? No, no one. Okay, I guess I must be right. And that's where logic and reasoning and our minds stop and they die. You know, but also with that, it frees us from doubt. You know, if you've ever sat there as a follower of Christ and said, you know, is this real? Am I, did Jesus really live? And was he truly God? Am I just believing a lie? When we have those moments, we've got really three things that we can do. We can give up and say, well, it must be wrong. And I don't like feeling this doubt, so I'm just going to give up on it. Or we will remove ourselves from anyone who makes us question it. You know, if, if we have a conversation with someone and they bring up some good points about our belief in God or our belief in the Bible, and we don't know how to handle it, or we don't know how to process it, what do we do? We want to run to our group. We want to reject that person and say, well, what they say can't matter because they're an unbeliever. They're from this different religion or this different belief system. But we want to run to our group and say, hey, tell me what's right. Tell me what's okay. You know, comfort me. And we don't care what people in our group say. We don't want them to actually debunk what's said. We just want them to help us feel better. We want them to remove the doubt. But instead of taking the two extremes, our third option when doubt comes is to wrestle with it, to look at all sides, to look at all evidence, to look at just a bigger picture instead of a single topic and fight through it and wrestle and struggle and talk to people that we trust and people who would really tear down our current beliefs. Because if what we are believing is true, if what we think is true, then it should stand up to scrutiny. It should stand up to doubt. It should, you know, pass the sniff test, if you will. But echo chambers are completely opposite of that. They're opposed to it. You know, whether it's Christian or atheist, whether it's Democrat, Republican, we all have these echo chambers that we can find and that we can retreat into and get wrapped up in a warm blanket and have everyone tell us that we're right and it's okay and that we shouldn't doubt and we just want to feel better. And that's like I said at the start of this particular topic, this is why I've always wanted to talk about echo chambers because I see so many Christians who know the right answers. They know the things to say, but when anyone confronts them, when someone brings up doubt, they panic. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea what to think or say. And they just want someone to tell them that it's okay, that they're right, that God is real. They don't want to wrestle through the doubt. They just want to have the doubt removed by someone they trust. So all that being said, what happened at the Capitol? How did an echo chamber lead to what we saw and what we've heard? Well, people on an extreme viewpoint, whether left or right, but of course, for sake of this discussion, we're talking about those on the extreme right. What they will do is they will often just consume news from a single viewpoint, one that is very pro-Trump, pro-right, pro-conservative, Republican, and on the complete opposite side, incredibly anti-everyone else. 
the liberals are all out to get you. The Democrats are evil. They don't even understand the Constitution. They're not even real Americans and things like that. There is often this this glowing painting of our side and this demonizing of the other side. And if that's all you hear day in, day out, months, years at a time, if you have a question about how we should understand President Trump losing the election and all you do is go to people who want to scream fraud and theft, then that's what you're going to naturally believe because that's all the truth you're hearing. And so when we do that, we don't fact check. We just assume that what we hear is true because it's from this news source I trust. It's from this website that I trust. Or we just read a headline and say, oh, I know completely what that headline is and it has to be right. And so we get our beliefs from other people telling us what to think and what to believe. They tell us what the group is saying. And when we comment, when we share, we get positive reinforcement from those who are already going to believe like we believe. And we get even further entrenched in our beliefs when those who don't agree with us question us or challenge us or even are outright hostile and nasty to us. And so as part of the echo chamber, if you watch the videos that have come out of what these people were saying during these this breaking into the Capitol, a lot of it was just hostility towards the opposing views. You know, they were calling people traitors. They were they were looking for them. I mean, they they brought a gallows. Like, whether they intended to use it or not, their thoughts, what they felt and how they viewed those who were opposed to them was nothing but murderous and hateful. And then what happens when you're angry and the group is angry? It just reinforces your own anger. It tells you, yes, you should be right and you're good to be right. It's the right thing to do. You know, and so when the group is telling you that, you know, you're not just mad at a president losing. You're mad at tyranny. You're mad at communists. You're mad at people who are against the Constitution of the United States. When they paint the other side in these wicked, villainous light, and then they start painting you like the heroes that you read about from the Revolutionary War, when you start seeing yourself as someone who's fighting for freedom and fighting for America, what is naturally going to happen when you're constantly inundated with that picture with that way of thinking is you're going to see yourself as fighting against the oppressor you needing to overthrow the oppressor there's room for talks and following protocol and following the law but just like the revolutionaries just like our forefathers these people were constantly reinforced with this idea that they have to stand up and fight no matter what if they're not going to play by the rules why should we play by the rules and then if you accept or tolerate other viewpoints, things that are opposed to the group or make you doubt the group, then what that does, that paints you as a bad member of the group. You are listening to them. You're being lied to. You're being deceived. You may even be unpatriotic. You know, if you start saying, you know, should we really be doing this? Maybe we should accept that the democratic process worked and unfortunately President Trump just lost. To say that is to be unpatriotic. It's to accept the brainwashing of the media or the left or the liberals or whomever is out there to get us. And so over and over, what happens is the group just wound itself up. They spent months and ultimately years constantly telling themselves that we're in a fight for the soul of America. It's us versus them. Those people who are not voting for President Trump are trying to overthrow America. They're trying to tear it down and make it, you know, this communist nation and things like that. And so we need to fight. We need to stand up. We need to do our civic duty and do whatever it takes. 
just like our forefathers, just like the revolutionaries stood up to the British, we need to stand up to those who hate our country and want to see it die. And so people have these discussions, whether online or in person, they share articles and, you know, cleverly made images and things like that, that call for, you know, boosting up of our side and tearing down and, you know, hating those on the other side. And as these things get shared and discussed and they get more likes, they get more positive reinforcement, they're going to start creating more comments and more articles and more beliefs that just keep moving in the same direction. And so ultimately, I think an echo chamber played a large part in what we saw at the Capitol in that you had these people who were just surrounded by the same kind of news, the same kind of aggressive, hostile imagery and words that made them believe that they were truly revolutionaries, that they were truly fighting to save America on that day, that it was their last chance and their last opportunity. And it's not because they sat down and they weighed both sides and they did the hard work. It's because they just listened to the group. They found a group telling them what to think. And as they got involved in the group and they started saying, hey, yeah, it was stolen, other people echoed them and said, yeah, it was stolen. And so then more people started saying, yeah, it was stolen, and on and on, just this same phrase, the same belief system, the same worldview kept echoing all throughout these people's lives. And slowly but surely, just like any belief that we surround ourselves with, they started to believe it. You know, you think of those kids who grow up with parents who tell them that they are special and perfect and the best at everything and no one should tell them no. You know, we've all probably met kids who grow up thinking that they are just the most unique, special person. And they truly believe it, even if they're not terribly remarkable from anyone else. And then when difficulty comes and they realize that they're not perfect, they're not special, that that they can't do everything that they want, they don't know how to handle it because their worldview, everything that they've heard all their life, everything they've surrounded themselves with or that their parents surrounded them with, told them that the world worked one way and they truly believed it. You know, or take it the opposite way. A parent who constantly berates their child and tells them that they're worthless, that they're useless, that they're stupid. That child's not going to grow up thinking, no, I do know things. I, I do have something to contribute to the world. Why? Because all the truth that they've been surrounded with tells them to think and to understand the world in one specific way. And that is what they believe. That is an echo chamber. And that is what we saw at the Capitol, was people who were constantly told think a certain way. Here's what's true. And they kept repeating, here's what happened. Here's how we should think. And other people reinforced them saying, yeah, good job thinking that way. And so on and on, they kept thinking that what happened with the election and what they needed to do could only go one way. They had to fight. They had to stand up. They could not be weak. And that, I believe, is how echo chambers contributed to what we saw. Now let's move on from there and talk about personality cults. Now, a personality cult, in its most basic sense, is an over-devotion to a single person. And I'll have some examples of what this looks like, but what I mean by an over-devotion, because, of course, we all need to be devoted to somebody. You know, I need to be devoted to my wife, I need to be devoted to my kids, my friends, things like that. So devotion itself isn't wrong, but it's when it starts taking the place of what is a good amount, when it goes too far. And so some signs of it are that we assume that Things are true or false based on what a particular person says. So if a president says that the election was stolen, that you know ballots were, ballots were counted too many times, that 
there were more voters than there were registered voters, things like that. If we start believing it simply because the president said it, that becomes dangerous because we are letting them define truth for us. Another part of it, when it comes to being in a kind of cult of personality or having too much devotion to a person, is that we will isolate ourselves from those who aren't devoted, from those who disagree, from those who would challenge us. Again, it becomes an us versus them mentality where we stand up and we believe in what this person says and everyone who also agrees with that is part of us, is someone that we want to associate with. But those who doubt or those who are against that person are the enemy. We will also idealize that person. So we will take their actions that they do and we will elevate them. We will always find the good that they do. We will we will share articles and share pictures that give, you know, good stats and stuff to what this person's done, whether we know if it's true or not, but it's something that allows us to build up that person and so we're going to build them up. If that person has some kind of negative thing, whether it's something they say, something they do, we'll realize that well they may be fallible, but they've always done it for a good reason. You know, a lot of times people are ignoring a different thing or we'll get involved in whatabouts where we say, yes, this person said that, but what about what this other person did? And so we don't deal with this person's actual faults. We just find ways to excuse it or ignore it or to basically redirect attention to something else to prevent our person, our hero, our idol from looking bad. A lot of times there is propaganda involved and it will focus on painting this person as a hero. It'll put them in kind of a savior position. You know, the the words in the text always have this idea of, you know, they will restore us to something or they will preserve something good. You know, they will they will rescue us from whatever suffering that we are experiencing. So that is in essence what a personality cult is. Is it's an overdevotion to a single individual. It's elevating someone higher than a human being should be elevated and treating them in a savior-like position. Let's talk about some modern examples. If you have paid attention to North Korea, Kim Jong-il, so the, the not the current leader, but the one prior to him, uh, Kim Jong-il was often seen as kind of a deity figure. And there was a lot of propaganda and a lot of beliefs of the people that he was this heroic major person. He was someone who deserved their absolute devotion. You know, if you think of ancient China and how they believe that the emperors were basically related to the gods, same as with Egypt, they believe that these these leaders were born of the gods. And that's the same thing that we see in North Korea. And even today with Kim Jong-un, you know, we see people will, you know, cry and wail when they see him. I mean, there's just this absolute immensity to when people see their leader because what he's done is he's used his powerful resources within his own government to essentially craft a worldview for the people. He has surrounded them with one form of truth, one way of thinking that tells them, here's how you need to see me, here's what you need to believe. And his people ultimately really struggle to do otherwise because What other truth could they possibly believe in? What other exposure have they had that could make them choose between seeing Kim Jong-un as, you know, this heroic savior-like figure who is the only thing that keeps their country going or seeing him as something else? If you don't let people see different forms of truth, if people are not exposed to varying viewpoints and allowed to weigh them equally, 
ultimately the vast majority of all humanity is only going to believe one specific way and one specific thing. Or what would a conversation about politics be without bringing up Adolf Hitler? You know, just completely ignoring the horrible monster that he was. There was a reason that he got to the position of power that he was in. There was a reason that people believed in him. And that's because Adolf Hitler was meant to restore Germany to greatness after World War One, because, you know, at that point, the country was really struggling. And so here came this guy who promised that he would restore them. He would bring them back to strength. And so people believed in that because they wanted their country to be rescued. They wanted someone to save them and to bring them kind of a restored glory to what Germany used to be. And so even when Germany was losing World War II, they still kept pushing this image of Hitler being this savior-like figure. And it took, it seems, a surprisingly long time for his propaganda machine to just stop working and for people to finally see, no, this is not the truth we were promised. This is not the salvation we were promised. This isn't the guy he was supposed to be. And again, that's all just completely ignoring everything else that he did and he ordered and that he wanted his troops to do to those who opposed him. But we can go a little more lighthearted with understanding personality cults and look at celebrity culture. You know, so this is a very soft version of it because obviously no one's going to look at someone like Kim Kardashian or a famous musician or whoever's famous right now. They're not going to look at that person and say, oh, these are this is the person who's going to save me. They're going to rescue me. But what does happen is that people will follow this person and they will kind of collect a cult around them, sometimes without the celebrity doing anything about it. You know, and, and this is kind of why I call it a softer version, because people like, you know, Hitler or in North Korea, they push for this cult to form around them. They craft it themselves, whereas with celebrities, people kind of latch on and obviously through some clever PR work from their publicist. But for the most part, people latch on and kind of choose to follow and devote themselves to that person and to buy all their stuff and to listen to what they have to say about politics and science and medicine and things like that. And even within Christianity, we see this sometimes at dangerous levels. I've talked to people where they think that their local pastor, the guy at their church, is the greatest preacher, the has all the truth, that everything they say must be true and shouldn't be questioned. And so if you ask them a question, they'll say, well, my pastor said, or you ask them something about the Bible, well, my pastor says, and you don't get truth from the person, you don't hear what the actual person you're speaking to believes, you're hearing what they were told to believe by their pastor. Now, obviously, our pastors have authority over us, and we need to you know, submit to them and not just challenge everything they say. But at the same time, it is incredibly dangerous to think that one single human being knows all the truth, always says the right thing. And a good pastor is also going to understand that. They're going to know that they are just as human, just as broken, and just as fallible as everyone in their church. But they the only real difference is that they have been called by God to lead these people, to be responsible for them and to help bring them closer to Jesus Christ. But we as Christians, we like to boost up that pastor. We like to elevate him and see him as more than he really is and more than he is meant to be. We see this also with celebrity pastors, and and this is really dangerous because we've seen several pastors over the years really, for lack of a better word, fall from grace. Things have come out about them, whether 
their marriage or, you know, things they've done with congregants or whomever. And we've learned that these pastors that we just held in such high esteem and always read, we read every book that they wrote. We would, you know, go across the country to attend a conference. We would just like with a local pastor, we would say, oh, well, here's what, you know, this celebrity pastor said or what this famous pastor said. And all our beliefs and everything we understand about the world is crafted and formed around what this particular person says. And, you know, we'll even do this with authors and teachers and, I mean, really anyone, anyone who will tell us truth and that seems worth our devotion and worth following. Anyone who we think can offer us salvation or deeper understanding or belonging, whatever it is we're looking for. It's very easy for us as human beings because we were designed by God to worship. It's very easy for us to take the worship that belongs to God as we seek his truth and try to understand the world truly as he understands it, because God is the only one who truly knows everything and understands how the world works. But instead of giving that devotion to God, we will split it between God and a certain pastor or a certain celebrity or whomever. But why? What is the appeal of what we can call a personality cult, a a belief system or a following that builds up around a single person not the party that they represent, not the beliefs they represent, but the person to the degree that we don't just stand up for his beliefs, but his or her actions, his or her thoughts having nothing to do with what their role is in our lives. You know, what is it that appeals to us that we would give such devotion and honestly blind devotion to a human being like that? Well, as with the example of North Korea, sometimes people genuinely don't know that they're in it. If you hear stories and testimonies from kids who are raised in cults or raised in very aggressive and what I would say is unchristlike Christian homes where there was no question, there was no exposure to the outside world, you just locked in and you believe these things because I say so. When you hear people who come from a world like that, they believed what they believed because they literally had no other way of thinking. But as soon as they got to you know, middle school or high school or college, whenever they were able to go and be exposed to other beliefs, a lot of what they were taught started falling apart because they now had something else to weigh against these beliefs and to weigh them honestly and fairly instead of villainizing the other positions and saying, here's what they say, but here's why they're wrong and here's why they're evil and here's why you shouldn't believe it. You know, a lot of people, like I said, they just they don't know that they are idolizing a human being because they just, in a way, don't know better. It also appeals to us because when we follow after a person, when we hang on their every word, when we say that, you know, this is true because this pastor said it or this politician said it or this celebrity said it, what that does is it gives us a savior. You know, we as human beings, I think inherently, just as we were made to worship, I think we also realize that we can't save ourselves. We understand our own weakness and our own limitations. You know, there's this feeling that a lot of people get, imposter syndrome is what people call it, where we, you know, in our work, in our church, in our families, we are terrified that people are going to realize that we don't know what we're doing. You know, we, we worry that people are going to say something or do something or challenge us and realize that we are fakes, we are imposters, that we aren't as smart as we seem to appear to other people. And I think that's just an inherent thing in us that we assume that we should know X amount of knowledge or have X amount of wisdom or be able to do all these things. 
but we inherently know that we can't, that we're not perfect. We're not perfect like these other people that we see, and we're terrified that people are going to see that. And so that's why I, it's so easy for us to latch on to a pastor or a celebrity because they do seem perfect. They do seem to know it all and have it all together. And that's someone we need to follow so that we can become more like them, so that they can save us from our ignorance, from our failures, and from our fear of being found out. And on top of that, you know, following after a certain individual gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us that community because we find others who also love and adore and admire that person. And so we can like and share things that they share on their social media feeds. We can talk to them about things that we have in common. And and as human beings, we love that. We love that sense of community and we can build it up around this certain politician or this certain athlete. And I think finally, the appeal of elevating a human being and accidentally perhaps getting involved in a personality cult is that it removes responsibility from us. Because if someone else is telling us what's true, if someone else will lead us, we don't have to do anything. We don't have to think critically about what's true and what's good and what we should do. We're just obedient soldiers marching in the direction that our leaders tell us. And again, that's not a dig at authority. That's not to say we should just do all our thinking for ourselves and not follow those in authority over us. The problem comes when we do everything they say simply because they say it. And if it seems wrong, we will rationalize to ourselves why it has to be right because that person said it. And so, you know, getting away from kind of the vagueness of all those statements, what happened at the Capitol? How do we see a personality cult playing out in the actions of those people at the Capitol? Well, obviously, there's a devotion to President Trump in America, at the Capitol and just around the country. You know, people are, you know, unnaturally devoted to everything he says and thinks and believes. I've seen people who, in the days of Barack Obama, they were terrified that he was going to try to set up a dictatorship and you know, and not follow the political process. I've seen these same people either suggest or be okay with the idea of President Trump being president for life. You know, these, these same people who would point out every flaw of Barack Obama will cover up, you know, similar flaws and, and similarly weighty issues with Donald Trump. Those people who would not point out the good and the worthwhile and the noble and the valuable things that, you know, Barack Obama did or what Joe Biden will do. These are the same people who would always find everything good to say and share about Donald Trump. And to be clear, I'm not against Donald Trump. I voted for Donald Trump. I would vote for Donald Trump again, not because I believe in him, but because I believe in the general idea of what the Republican Party stands for. So don't hear this and think that I'm just uh, you know anti-Trump or something like that. I am absolutely not. But I am more than happy to point out the good and the bad in him as I would with Barack Obama or how I would will with Joe Biden, because they are leaders, certainly. And, you know, God calls us to respect them as leaders. But what God doesn't call us to do is to villainize one and excuse and boost up another simply because of what political party they represent. And so, you know, at the Capitol, that is what we see. We see not just a belief in what Republicans stand for or what conservatives stand for. What we see instead is people who believe in Donald Trump. And so with that, what we've seen, which is kind of really interesting, is there's actually a division within the Republican Party now. Because while politics in America have always had a 
sense of us versus them. It's always been Republicans versus Democrats. But now it's Trump supporters versus other Republicans who don't support him. And so the whole world seems to be coming against them because everyone is out to get Donald Trump. And therefore, these people need to fight against that. They need to stand up for him. They need to fight and die for this person. And this is very serious because, you know, even Mike Pence is now seen as a traitor. You know, people were calling for him to be hanged, just like Nancy Pelosi. And you know how people feel about Nancy Pelosi. So for them to put Pence in the same party as her and to hate him with the same, you know, murderous thinking that they do Pelosi, that tells us something about just how quickly people are swayed when someone that they idolize tells them to. When some when he turns against someone, everyone turns against him. Because all thinking is done by by that one person. And as we talked about previously, it's reinforced by the group. You know, and so kind of building on that, those at the Capitol get involved in a big problem in personality cults, and that's that your values and your beliefs are defined by what one person says. In Catholicism, there's a term called ex cathedra, and this is that what the Pope says is true, is how it is. And it's not because the Pope is this deep theologian or has kind of shown his work. It's because if the Pope says it, it's true because the Pope said it. And so in Catholicism, you believe that so much that you are willing to be wrong along with the Pope. And you're not really worried about that because the Pope can never fall out of grace in your eyes. Well, that's what we see here with how people at the Capitol were so devoted to Donald Trump that they would do what they did is because if Trump said that the election was stolen, then the election was stolen, even though all the courts ruled against it. And even people in the Republican Party said, look, it was a fair election. We hate that we lost, but we need to move on. If President Trump had said that, those people who follow him would have accepted the loss. But because President Trump said that it was stolen, that it was unfair, that they had to fight, then that is what they did. Because within a personality cult, that's what you do. You follow the words of what the person says, not because it seems right, not because you're convinced or they have shown you that there's no other way to think, but simply because they said it and therefore it must be true because they said it. You know, and now hitting on that kind of savior view that people have within personality cults, President Trump has often been painted as our last line of defense from the Democrats or the liberals or Antifa or whatever enemy is being given to us. President Trump is always the last line of defense. He is the one standing between us and losing our country to the enemy. And if you get really into the whole QAnon thing, you're going to see that on a much more magnified level because they see this giant conspiracy where these celebrities and these politicians are involved in this, you know, major pedophile Satan worship ring. And President Trump is at a secret war to remove them from the government because they are so infested in and he's got to, you know, drain the swamp and and get all these people out of here. Again, it's painting him as a savior. He is the one who can rescue us. He is our only hope. And so the the picture here isn't Princess Leia begging Obi-Wan Kenobi to rescue her because he was her best chance. It's it's people at the feet of Donald Trump begging him because they believe that he is really and truly the only thing that's going to save them from where they believe the country is heading and where they are told the country is heading. 
And, you know, while we didn't see this at the Capitol, often the mindset and the ways that people speak about President Trump is that he is going to return us to this idealized golden age of America, back when people were patriotic and they loved their country and they had the right beliefs and things like that. That's what President Trump is supposed to save us for. He is supposed to rescue us from the corruption and the the rancidness of our country now and instead bring us back to this this golden age of America that everyone just looks back on so fondly and and we just we want that. We want our country to be strong and mighty and respected and productive. And if if Donald Trump loses, these people are convinced that we will never have that. And then finally, you know, these people have been told over and over again they need to fight. This is their last chance. They are revolutionaries. They need to remove corruption from the government. They believed that they were fighting for their savior figure. They were willing to kill and even die standing by what they believed was true. You know, I want to kind of wrap this up and say that, you know, the people at the Capitol were very obviously deceived. I think many people, whether at the Capitol or not, are involved in a personality cult kind of mentality where it's just this overdevotion to Donald Trump and nothing else and everything he says is true and they will turn on any beliefs they have if if Donald Trump says it. But I don't say that to say that President Trump is somehow similar to, you know, Hitler or whatever where he is pushing this and trying to set up some kind of, you know, fascist government where he controls the population, he controls the thoughts. You know, if you see where America has been heading and especially how Christians have been thinking about politics lately and seeing just how dark things keep getting, we've been looking for someone to save us. We want someone to rescue us from the rampant abortion in America and the sex culture that just gets worse and worse and things like that. We want someone to fix it. We want someone to save us. We trust God. We know that God is in control of all things, but but so many people have been convinced that Donald Trump is the one to do that. And so many people want to just say, oh, you know, Donald Trump is just like Kim Jong-un. Well, I think we need to be very careful of just painting with such broad strokes because just like, you know, celebrities will kind of lean in to their fan base and they will enjoy what their devoted people bring. It's not that, you know, people like Elvis just went out and said, hey, you need to worship me. People adored him and they worshiped him and he just ran with it. And I think that's a position that President Trump probably finds himself in and that, you know, he's not going around trying to form this cult around himself. It's that people in their desperate search for a savior in a human being have sprung up around him and boosted him up and have kept, you know, hanging on his every word. And so he basically just finds himself in a position where he has a devoted following and as a human being is going to react in a way that human beings are going to react. And so at the Capitol, I think we just see the natural conclusion of what happens when people are so willing to hang on the word of a single man and are willing to buy into everything he says and everything that he's convinced of. And so if President Trump believes that the election was stolen, everyone who follows him is going to say that the election was stolen. If President Trump says that we need to fight and this is our last chance, then they as human beings following a savior are going to do whatever it takes to honor the word of their savior. Now, whether President Trump honestly meant for people to violently attack the Capitol is a completely different debate. But the reality is that that is how people saw 
their leader leading them. They thought that that's what he wanted. They thought that it would honor him and they thought that it was what was needed and that that's what he was calling them to. And then finally, I want to talk about gaslighting. Now, this is kind of a weird term, uh, but it gets its name from an old Alfred Hitchcock film called Gaslight. And the broad understanding of what gaslighting means is it's essentially where someone else controls your complete understanding of reality. And this can kind of play out in two different ways. It's either someone is telling you what did or didn't happen. So, for example, and you'll see this a lot in relationships, and this is a very scary thing to see when you have a, a person trying to control someone else within a relationship. So what you'll have is you'll have one person trying to isolate someone else in a relationship. They're trying to lock them down. They're trying to control everything about them. And so in order to do that, you need to make sure that everyone else gets cut out of their life. And so one way you might see gaslighting in a relationship is that they will, you know, we'll just use a, a man trying to control his girlfriend. So you'll have a guy who will tell his girlfriend, you know, can you believe your mom said that or, or thinks that, you know, do you think your mom really meant what she said and things like that? You know, you know, why don't your friends call you? You know, why did they say it that way? You know, I can't believe they forgot to, you know, tell you happy birthday or they didn't invite you to go out with other people and things like that. And they will manipulate and tell this person that, you know, these events are, should be interpreted in a certain way. And they will make them doubt their understanding of reality because in this situation, you know, maybe the girlfriend didn't see it that way. Maybe they don't have a problem with their mom. Maybe they understood why their friend didn't invite them out. But someone they trust is kind of bringing thoughts to their mind and trying to make them understand a reality in a certain way. You know, another way you'll see this play out in making them doubt or believe certain events is that a man might tell his girlfriend things that didn't happen and he'll make her doubt her understanding of reality or even her sanity by just flatly and even angrily denying that something happened. So if a guy promises his girlfriend that he will, you know, clean out the garage or, you know, take her to a play or something. And when she calls him on, he, he flat out denies that he ever promised it and not just to defend himself, but honestly telling her that she is crazy to think that and that he never did it and that there must be something wrong with her. She starts to question her own grip of reality. She starts to wonder if things that seemed true really are true. Or she might see a text message to another woman and ask about it, and he will completely deny that such a text message exists. He may even deny that he even knows a girl by that name. And no matter what she does, he will just keep denying it, and he will keep bringing it back on her, saying, you're crazy, you're making things up, you're imagining it. That's gaslighting. That is trying to control someone's understanding of reality. And, you know, we might see this play out maybe a little bit more lightly with telling someone how they should or shouldn't feel, saying things like, you know, you should be angry that someone did that to you, or, you know, you're really making a big deal out of nothing. You know, things like that are telling someone that their understanding of reality is wrong, and here is instead what they should replace it with. Here is how they should be feeling. And like I said, we see this very often in relationships. You know, it's a form of emotional abuse, obviously. It's trying to control a person's mind and their understanding of reality. It's all about manipulation 
and isolation. And through that, the goal is to basically create a dependency on the other person because this person clearly can't trust anyone else in their life. They can't even trust themselves. They need this person to tell them what is really true and and what reality actually is. And so, you know, if someone has this horrible desire to control someone in such a way, if you call them out on it, if you question them on it, they will not acknowledge what you're talking about. They will either belittle you for questioning them. They will turn the conversation around and kind of deflect your questions and turn things back on you. Or they'll just say that you can't understand things, that you don't get it, that you're not a part of it, and you couldn't possibly understand. And that's basically just what gaslighting is, is it's trying to create a narrative in a person's life to basically control their entire perception of reality, not just ask them to think about things in a different way, but to genuinely try to dictate what they think and what they believe by insisting that truth can only be one way and anyone who sees it differently has something wrong with them. And so now just think about what happened at the Capitol. Think about over the past few months, ever since November, what these people had constantly been told. They'd been constantly told that the election was unfair, that there was fraud and that there was theft and not just theft in a general sense. If you were standing outside the Capitol, your country was being stolen from you right in front of your eyes. There were just a few walls separating you from those criminals who were trying to tear down the country and tear you down with it. These people were told that they should be angry. If you listen to the news and the language that was used in, in articles and spoken word, the language was always aggressive. It was fight. It was, it was pointing out an enemy. It was comparing people to the revolutionaries. It was all language that was marching people in a direction and telling them, you need to be angry. You need to fight. If you think that this is okay, if you think that this was fair, then you are deceived. You are wrong. You need to listen and believe that this is an injustice that we have to fight against. If we don't, then tyranny is going to win. The enemy will win and you will lose. And these people were told that to fight, to be angry, to not settle for the results of the election was to be a true patriot. That a true patriot would stand up. And that if you didn't stand up, then you were one of them. You were willing to let our country be taken from us. And they were told that this whole system is corrupt, that even Republicans now were compromised. It was no longer Republican versus Democrat. It was this small group who had the truth versus everyone else because everyone else was deceived. Everyone else was being lied to. It was only this group of people who was willing to stand up and fight. They were the only ones that had truth on their side. And so the police had been corrupted. Politicians had been corrupted. Even the vice president of the United States was weak and unpatriotic and had been corrupted by the system. And so if you just take all of this, the echo chambers, the personality cult, the gaslighting of, of being told, here's what reality is, and this is how you need to see the events that it t- took place. If you hear the words of the people at DC, if you hear the things that they said on social media leading up to it in the months before, everyone is basically the same. They are all predictable in their approach and their understanding, even the very words they used. Why? Because they had been conditioned. They had had the narrative controlled. They had been told what reality was. And if anyone doubted it, you had the group 
telling you what was right if you sat in the echo chamber. You had this person that you looked up to and followed and believed in telling you what was happening. And you had just certain aspects of the news in general constantly telling you, here's what's reality, here's what's true, here's what you need to believe. And so really think about the commonalities of all three of these things that I've discussed. Echo chambers giving you positive reinforcement to believe what the group believes and to hate the enemy against the group. The personality cult that leads you to such devotion that you will abandon truth, abandon even what's right in order to follow this person. You will completely change your personality, your beliefs, your friends, your whole identity based on what this person says is true. And then gaslighting, where if you don't believe this truth, you're misguided. You're one of them. You're deceived. You're a sheep. Think about what all of these things have in common. One thing is that isolation is key. Not just physical isolation, but emotional and mental and relational isolation, where it is us versus them. Who you are, your identity, where you belong is with this insulated group. And that group is going to be hostile or even purposely ignorant to contrary beliefs or ideas. For you to question certain things is for you to risk being removed from the group. It's to risk falling into one of them and and buying into the lies that the other team is spouting off. All three of these things are also about controlling the truth. It's about giving people a very specific belief system, a very specific worldview, a very specific understanding of reality itself. Because, you know, really, and that is the key thing to realize, is if you talk to people who are very devotedly Republicans, and you talk to someone who is very devotedly a Democrat, they see two completely different realities in the world. They understand politics, they understand life, they understand truth in two completely different ways. And it's not because necessarily one is more right than the other, but because they are both being fed one narrative from one specific source. They are being reinforced by their group. They are following certain people or certain news channels that is constantly telling them, here's what you need to think and say and do. And so these sides are all pitted against each other because... What binds people together is not just the truth, but the enemy to that truth. There's always a common, vague enemy that they have to fight against. You know, sometimes that enemy will be named like when people wanted to hang Nancy Pelosi. A lot of times it's just them. It's the liberals, the media, the Democrats. It's always this vague group that we have to fight against because they're all out to get us. We don't know specifically what they're doing, but if something is bad, if something is going wrong, it's because of them. And so these three things I've discussed, I hope it's clear how very dangerous it is for people in general, but also us as Christians, for us to let someone else tell us what truth is, for us to just surround ourselves with yes men and people who will just reinforce what we want to believe and will constantly feed us just the same thing over and over and allow very little room for discussion or debate or differing opinions. That is the opposite of what we as Christians should be living for. So let's conclude this with a big, so what? You know, I've pointed out some kind of interesting ways that people think and how group dynamics plays a part in our worldview, but why care? What was the point of making such a long episode? Well, like I said in the beginning, one of my goals is to debunk this nonsense where the left, if you will, paints all Trump supporters as 
terrorists or insurrectionists. It's a very irresponsible and lazy thing to do. You know, for the actions of a few to be applied to everyone is honestly ridiculous to say that, oh, if you voted for Trump, you're responsible. This is what you want. You hate America. You want to tear it down and set up a dictator. Like I said, it's just, it's a very irresponsible view. And I hope that I've shown why people who surround themselves with news like this are very unsurprisingly going to have extreme and even violent worldviews. But that's not typical of everybody. And it's also incredibly hypocritical to think that way because we've seen that when people on the conservative Republican side have pointed out the evils of groups like Black Lives Matter, those who support them would say, well, you can't look at the few bad apples and apply that to the whole group because that's not what they stand for. That's not what everyone believes in. They just make us look bad. So I think it's important for us to just be fair and see why what happened at the Capitol was just a natural consequence of how a few people allowed themselves to be surrounded with one version of the truth. Like I said, I also hope that this discussion and this way of approaching what happened helps address those on the right who feel like they need to stick to their guns and keep supporting everything that happens no matter what and trying to defend or excuse them. Because, again, it's hypocritical. You know, if you think about how Islam was thought about 20 years ago after the 9-11 attacks, the world, and especially Christians, I think, were looking at Muslims and wanting them to condemn the actions of what happened. We said, wow, these people were Muslim. They claimed to be Muslims. They even acted in the name of Islam. And look what they did. Look at the terrible thing they did. Look at the terrible beliefs and the violence that they wanted to inflict on people. And so we painted this entire religion as violent. And we really wanted people to take a hard stand and say, I am Muslim, but I do not believe what they believe. I don't stand for what they stand for. They are wrong. We condemn them for what they believe and for what they did. You know, we hoped and we wanted Muslims to do that. And we as Christians need to expect the same thing of us. That we as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, of the God of the universe, we who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and making us more like Christ, need to stand up for what is right and what is true. We need to have the humility to admit that we may have been wrong to argue or defend what happened, or even for the extreme degree that we may have supported a single human being. You know, yes, people are going to mock us. We're going to look foolish but we're going to bring glory to Christ because when people see us repent, it's weird. It's uncomfortable. It's not natural for us to say I was wrong. All this stuff that I've been sharing over the past few weeks or the past few years, I realized that I was misguided. I misunderstood. I was only seeing one particular worldview. And so understanding that some of the stuff I've talked about, especially the echo chambers that might apply to you. And you need to ask yourself, Is it important that you keep on with the direction you've been going because you don't want to look bad, because you don't want to be wrong, because you don't want to look silly or have others laugh at you? If that's the reason that you are insisting on defending the actions of a person or a group, that is, I think, something you really need to bring to God and ask if you are honoring God with that way of thinking or if you're honoring yourself and your own pride. And then finally, for others... I hope that this has just given you a balanced view and, and maybe a way of understanding both sides of what's happening and giving you a way to not sweep all conservatives 
into this behavior and this way of thinking, but also allowing you to condemn and reject the things that you saw. Because, again, like I've said, what happened at the Capitol isn't surprising when we look at the bigger picture. I think so many people want to just look at what happened that day during President Trump's speech and say, well, nothing he said could have led to this. No, probably not. But for the months leading up to it, and especially for the ways that people just isolate themselves and surround themselves with people with one particular worldview that just keeps reinforcing itself, then ultimately resulting in violence when they were constantly speaking in violent terms and thinking in a violent revolutionary way is really the only thing that could have happened. And so how do we understand this as Christians? How do we think about human nature as we understand it through God's word and see what was going on in the hearts of these people? I think there's three things that we can look at. I think the first one that we can look at is that these people were filled with pride. And not pride as in they're proud of their country, but the sin of pride. And I say that because those who commit crimes, those who do evil, always think that they're justified. You know, if you're a fan of literature, some of the best villains in all of literature are those who really and truly believe that they are the hero of their own story. They think that what they're doing is right and good and just because those people that they hurt are the enemy or they are doing a little bad for a greater good. And so the people at this at the Capitol very likely saw themselves as above the process. They felt that they were rescuing the country, that they had the power to fix what our democratic system couldn't do. And, you know, they felt so sure that they were right that they didn't even wear masks. In a time in our lives where no one thinks twice about someone wearing masks, these people, for the vast majority were completely recognizable in the various videos that were taken and shared across the internet. And why did they do this? Well, it's not because they are so anti-mask that they would rather go to jail, but they felt so confident that they were right that they felt unafraid to show themselves thinking that there was no real risk of punishment. They felt that what they were doing was right and good because that's what they had been convinced was right and good. They'd been conditioned for months that this is what had to happen. So what could go wrong? How could they be hated for ultimately rescuing our country from evil? You know, when you compare that to the protesters from Hong Kong from last year, you know, people were protesting the government. They were fighting against police, but they did so with masks because they feared, they were terrified of the blowback. They knew that if they were seen, they would be punished. And of course, that's not to say that what Hong Kong was fighting against was wrong. I'm not saying that the, the protesters were wrong there, but my point is that the people who stormed the Capitol were so convinced that they were right that there was no even thought of some kind of legal recourse against them. You know, we also see their pride displayed in thinking that everyone that disagreed with them was the enemy. And this is a problem because for anyone to be so convinced that everything they believe is right, that anyone who questions them is not just wrong or misguided or mistaken, but an enemy, a traitor, a villain, that takes a lot more than just being confident in truth. That takes saying that you are so right that anyone who doubts you is your enemy. And then in all of this, these people were so convinced that they were right, that they believed that they were truly serving God with what they did. You know, right now, as a result of what happened, Christians are under a microscope. There's a very good chance that... 
we are going to start being seen as extremists and terrorists because of the violent actions of some and how those have been blown so out of proportion that people are wanting to take down everyone remotely related to them. So when people go and they are breaking windows and attacking police and calling for politicians to be killed, and then they say that they're doing it in the name of God and they're serving God, they think we're just like them. Now, another way that we can think about this biblically is that these people were operating on fear. You know, the the worldview involved, the ways that these people think and talk and consume media, there is an unhealthy obsession with everything that's wrong with the other side of, of their beliefs. There's this talk about how they have too much power. They are trying to bring down the country. They are trying to silence the truth. It's always this this group that's out to get them that they have to stand against and fight against. And they are afraid that if they don't, something bad is going to happen. That, that if they lose, if the people who storm the Capitol lose, then the country loses. We lose America because they're the only line of defense. They are the only thing that is going to give us any hope of having a future is if they stop this theft, is if they stop evil from winning. Because if in their minds, President Trump doesn't win, then everything ends. And so this was their time to step up and be a hero, to risk everything, maybe, if necessary, in order to stop the worst thing that they can imagine from happening by the Democrats winning the presidency. And then I assume this is an obvious one, but another sin issue that we see here is just flat out idolatry. You know, again, President Trump is seen as a savior and he's a savior from them, from the liberal Democrats, from the political agenda, from the media, from whatever enemy we see, President Trump is meant to rescue us from them. You know, and this just gets constantly reinforced because we're told to fear the other side and we're always told how bad things will get if the Democrats win. We see all these horrible things that are going to take place and how our country is basically on its last legs right now. And so ultimately, we look to a human being for salvation from what we fear. And so let's end this with hope because this is a difficult topic. It is a very heavy one for me to think about. I have been in a lot of prayer as I've prepared this episode. I've been furiously going at modifying my notes and trying to get things just so because I want it to be clear that we need to be very careful with how we as Christians are thinking and responding to what happens. So, you know, let's let's get away from, you know, what's wrong with everyone and, you know, why sin is such a big motivator in everything we do. And let's just really realize what this shows us about our need for the gospel in every area of our lives. Because as Christians, as I've talked about, we need to understand that good theology is important for everything we do, for everything we understand. Because good theology, a proper understanding of who God is and who we are, and within all of that, the major role that the gospel plays in our life, not just Christ saving us from sin, but Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing us to live lives that please God. When we approach life in that way, and we understand ourselves properly, then we can understand the world accurately. We can start seeing how we are conditioned by the news that we take in and the sources we trust and the groups that we identify ourselves with. And with that, we can be very careful to really watch 
ourselves for weaknesses that we have. So, for example, if you are someone who's on social media a lot, I'd honestly and genuinely encourage you to just go to your social media feed and look at the things that you have shared online, whether Facebook or Twitter, whatever. What are the things that you want other people to see? What are things you want other people to learn? Is it all about Jesus Christ or is it about politics and especially the other side and the evil things that the other side is doing? Because that is a good thermometer. The things that we share, the things that we spend our time talking about is a good thermometer for where our hearts truly are. And so depending on our weaknesses, we can be very mindful. You know, if we are given to fear, we can see that by the kind of media that we consume and share. We can look at the articles that we've read recently and ask ourselves, you know, how how dangerous does this article or this video or whatever, how dangerous does it paint the world? How imminent is the danger? Is there a risk of them taking over or something bad happening if I don't listen to what's said? If that's the stuff we enjoy, then that should be evidence to us that we enjoy fear, that we, in our weakness, are given over to fearfulness. You know, is one of our weaknesses conspiracies? Well, we can ask ourselves, do we believe things without objective and unbiased evidence? Do we spout things as truth without having done the work ourselves, without having looked at different sides? Or do we just hear the worst things and just assume that they're true and then especially tell others about it? You know, is our weakness celebrity worship? Well, as we talked about with the whole personality cult thing, you know, do you find yourself holding any person whether it's a celebrity or a spouse, whatever, do you find yourself holding a person up higher in your mind and, and in a higher status than a follower of Christ should? If you do, that's a sign that one of your weaknesses is celebrity worship. Or maybe your weakness is tribalism. And by that, I mean it's us versus them. And if you want to test for that, just ask yourself, when you hear information, do you immediately doubt the information if it comes from the other side? Or do you immediately embrace it as truth if it comes from your own side? No matter how far-fetched, no matter how extreme it is, if it goes along with what you already want to believe, are you quick to believe it? Or are you prone to calling out faults in one side while ignoring or excusing faults on your own side? Or maybe a weakness that you have is just that you are angry or you're always looking to fight. You know, do you need an enemy? Do you love when you hear that they are out to get you, they are doing something, that they are you know, going to contribute to the downfall of our country? Or, on a very personal level, how quick are you to tear someone down? How quick are you to share information that, that drags someone through the mud, that shows their evilness, that shows their corruption? You know, not that we shouldn't call out evil, but oftentimes we click that share button simply because we read the headline or we see the picture with text on it, and we just share it because we want others to know that this person is wrong and evil. We want others to see them as an enemy, just like we do. And so as Christians, obviously we want to be very mindful of our weaknesses. But within that, we also want to make sure that we are applying the gospel to current events. One of the most important things we can do when responding to current events is to remember who we are in Christ. And we see this in, for one, Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So part of that gospel-centered life is realizing that we are not our own. Our lives aren't ours. We aren't 
American citizens. We aren't anything more than what our primary identity is, which is found in Jesus Christ. And so whenever we are thinking, you know, how do I respond? How do I think? How do I participate or choose not to participate in what's happening? The big thing to remember is that we are ambassadors of God. We represent Jesus Christ on this earth. And so while people attacked the police and broke the law and caused chaos in what they thought was a God-pleasing act, we as Christians have to look at that and say, is God truly pleased with this? Is this something that God loves? Or are the thoughts and intentions behind this coming from hearts that are using God as an excuse to fuel their primary identity, which is an American, and especially an American with a very specific worldview and viewpoint and political desire. And so we need to just reject that kind of thinking. We need to reject the idea that we need to make God fit into what we want and instead make God and especially his glory our highest priority. So, and I really want us to just consider how we see this in Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. It says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and of the dead. So as we are wrapping up this very long discussion, and as we are preparing to encounter the events that have happened and the events that are going to be coming up in the world in general, whether it's related specifically to what happened at the Capitol and the presidential election, or just really in general, as we as Christians are trying to live in the country where God has us, in the state, in the city, in whatever part of life God has us in, we need to find that balance. We need to find what is it to be an American-born person or someone who has immigrated into America, what does it mean to live here but still be the Lord's? How, how do I live as an American or a European or a Jamaican, African, wherever you are? How do I live in this country and bring glory to God through what I'm doing? How do I live for Christ in this life that I'm in right now? And there's no one simple answer It's certainly not something that can be explained just at the end of an episode, but as we consider it, as we are just taking in everything that happened and how the events of the Capitol were the natural consequences of a worldview, and especially of a life lived in a, in a way, in isolation, a life that was lived apart from different realities and instead just embraced a single understanding of the truth and then acted based on that. You know, how do we as Christians respond to that? How do we live and how do we continue on from here? And maybe even we need to ask ourselves, how do I evaluate myself? How do I make sure that I am not overly saturated in right-wing news? Or how do I make sure I'm not oversaturated in left-wing news? How do I make sure that I am evaluating things as fully and as honestly as I can? Because, of course, we're not going to know the full side of everything. We're not going to have all the truth, but we can be responsible by understanding how things like echo chambers and personality cults and gaslighting works. We can understand how those things warp and shape and alter how we view reality. And when we do that and we're saying, okay, so understanding all that, how do I live now? 
How, how do I live as though I don't live for myself and I don't die for myself, but I live and die for Jesus Christ? Just a few ways based on the conversation we've had today is one, ask, who is it that we fight for? Or in other words, whose agenda are we trying to advance? What is the end result? Are we trying to make an agenda that pleases or is fought for or is taught by a human? Or are we fighting for an agenda that will bring ultimate glory to God and and be the things that he wants and he desires? And another thing to check is what are we willing to compromise when it comes to God and politics? Will we compromise God and change who he is and what he desires in order to fit with what we want to believe about politics in the world? Or are we willing to change and compromise and perhaps even abandon some of our political beliefs in order to fit correctly and fully and truly with God? And so all that in mind, and remembering Romans 14, we just have to ask ourselves, what is it that we live for? And what is it that we're willing to die for? Is our ultimate goal, is our highest desire, is our greatest priority God and what he calls us to in this life? Or is it how God can let me be more of fill in the blank, an American, a Republican, a Democrat, a libertarian, wherever you find yourself politically, you know, in, in the country that you're in, are you living and dying for the king of kings? Or are you living and dying for something created by man that is temporary and imperfect? Now, I just want to end this by saying that as you think about everything happening in the world today, please remember that everything is competing for your loyalty. Everything wants to tell you what truth is. And we can't escape that. Anyone that is going to talk to you or share things with you is trying to get you to see truth from a particular perspective. It's what we do with that. It's what we understand about that and how much we let one particular viewpoint or all viewpoints either tell us what truth is or allow us to inform us while we try to get a bigger picture of everything. But as followers of Jesus Christ, whatever we do with all this information and with everything happening in the world, let's never forget that we are stewards of our lives and we're called to use this brief time on earth for God's glory. What we think or talk about, what we share on social media, and what we participate in should always reflect that we belong to the Lord and that he alone receives our unyielding loyalty. He alone is our source of truth. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Remember that you can support this ministry every month by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Any links or other information can be found down in the show notes. I hope that this fairly lengthy discussion on politics and how different things change our understanding of the world will help you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.